Okay. All right. Bible answers for life's questions. Um, our first question, what does the Bible say about baptism? Look at Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. This is what is commonly known as the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And it's interesting that in this passage, what's happening is Jesus is getting ready to ascend up into heaven and leave, and he's telling these disciples what their job's going to be. Uh, but it's interesting that the eleven disciples were at the mountain where Jesus told them to go, he has been on the earth, he's been with them for three years, this whole thing, and they still have some of them that have questions. The Bible says that still some of them doubted what was going on. So that's common, and that's because we're human. So as we walk with the Lord and spend more time with him, that doubt begins to fade away. But just so you know, you're in good company when you have these questions, because the disciples did Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and he said, here's what he told them right before he left. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of of the age. Now, this is the Great Commission. We're not going to take time to go through the whole thing. We're going to focus on that one part where he says that we're to baptize them. What did that mean? But before we do, let me give you the context around it. Like I said, Jesus is getting ready to leave. The first thing he tells him is all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus is the boss, basically. He's the boss. Whatever he says, that goes. And so what he's about to ask them to do He's telling them to do it, but he's, he's not telling them you're going to have to go out and do this on your own. He says, number one, I'm giving you the authority to do this. So they had the authority of heaven. Then notice the last phrase in verse 20. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not only did he say, I'm not going to tell you to go out and do this on your own, but I'm actually going to go with you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and I'll make sure that things happen the way they're supposed to. So you're not going to be alone. Now, that's their comfort. That's their commission. That's where their authority came from, and that's where their help comes from. What exactly was it he told them to do? Well, the Bible says in the first part of verse 18, or verse 19, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do we make disciples? There are basically two things involved in making disciples. First of all, he says, you make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. First of all, a disciple is someone who has accepted the Messiah as their Savior and they have been saved and they have chosen to follow him with their life. So that's the first thing. I've got to be committed to him and I've got to be identified with him. The second thing is, then I've got to follow him. That's the part where he says, teach him to obey everything I command you. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about how we... The, the method and the process through which we approach people to win them to Jesus Christ. And there are all different kinds of methods. There's the door-to-door method where you knock on the door and they come to the door and you give them a Bible track and, and, and you basically try and one call sell them on getting saved. Now, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with sowing seed that way. 
we need to make sure we do it ethically and we do it properly. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that. Then there are those who grab their Bible and beat people over the head with it. <coughs> Shove them in the corner and say, if you don't get saved, you're going to die and go to hell. Well, the truth of the matter is, all of that is true. If you don't get saved, you will die and go to hell. That's all true. However, that's not the best way to go about it. Okay? Here, here's what I explained to them, and here's the basic premise on which everybody who truly is born again gets that way. And it's all based upon the love of Christ. Did you ever wonder why people say they're saved and then they don't do what God says? They, they don't want to read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't want to go to church. They, they're very unethical in their lifestyle. They, they say they're Christians, but there's nothing about their life that indicates at all that they really are a Christian. Here's the deal. It's the love of Christ. And here's what I told him. First of all, the Bible says, we love him, First John, because he first loved us. Have you ever heard the phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? They really don't. I, if you're trying to tell me what to do, I really don't care how smart you are or how much you know about what it is I'm supposed to do until, first of all, I really know that you care about me. You're doing it because you love me and you want me to have the best for my life. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, here's the first thing. We love him because he first loved us. Nobody is going to do what God says until, first of all, they realize how much he loves them. So our job in introducing Jesus Christ to people is to share with them how much he loves them. How much he did for them to prove his love. When they realize that Jesus loves them, then they will love him back. Why? Because we love him because he first loved us. We realize that, then we love him back. And here's what Jesus said after that. If you love me, remember, I love him because I, I finally realized he loved me. So somebody got me to understand that Christ really loves me. I couldn't believe it. That he would love me in spite of who I am. So I accept him as my Savior, and I love him because he first loved me. Then Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. The person who truly loves Christ, because they first of all have realized and understand how much he loves them... That person, you don't have to beg them to want to do what God says. Because Jesus said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. So, what's going on in Matthew 28? Jesus said, you've got to go out and make disciples of all people and all nations. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to tell them about me. You've got to tell them who I am. You've got to tell them why I came. You've got to tell them how much I love them and how much I want to be their Savior and give them the best in life. Jesus said the thief came to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I came so you could have life and have it more abundantly. We've got to get people to understand that. Then he says, <coughs> once you get them to understand, understand that, then they need to identify with me. They need to say, I understand that, I accept that, I'm willing to commit to that. I don't mind if people know that that's who I'm committed to. That's where baptism comes in. Baptism is simply identification with who and what we believe. Now, I want you to look with me at your notes. 
First of all, what is baptism? Real quick, let me give you some, just some basic meanings of what this is. First of all, A, the meaning of the word. The word here, the Greek word, is the Greek word baptizo. It literally means to immerse. In classical Greek, that word was used of ships that were sinking and totally submerged under the water. And I've given you the reference here in uh, the Holman Bible Dictionary where I actually got that information. But literally, in classical Greek writings, this particular word, baptizo, was literally used to talk about ships that sunk. Now, when a ship sunk, it was totally immersed in the water. That's what the word means. So, first of all, the very word means to immerse, to totally put under the water. Second of all, we understand what baptism is not only by the meaning of the word, but by the purpose of the practice. What was the purpose for being baptized? Well, it was to identify and to illustrate something. Now, give me another note. In the first century, Jews practiced what was called a ritual cleansing. As a matter of fact, historians have uncovered all these little pools around the Middle Eastern area where Jews would go, and they would many times on their own. They would go down in these pools of water. They would dunk themselves and come up as an illustration of a, of a cleansing, that they had been cleansed from whatever the Jewish law of cleansing was at that time that they were practicing. It was a picture to everybody around them that they had gone through the cleansing ritual. That's how they showed it. They went down in that water and they came out. For example, um, part of the Jewish law was uh, in a woman in her normal monthly cycle, once it was over, to identify that it was over, there was a cleansing. This is traditionally part of what they would do. And it showed that I am through. I have been cleansed from that time in my life. So what was it? It was a picture. It was an illustration. Identifying them with something. Baptism in the Bible is no different. It's the same thing. Now let me ask you, when those people traditionally went down in that water and came out, did that did the actual water make them clean? Did it wash away whatever it was that they were being cleansed of? No. So baptismal waters don't wash away our sin either. It is a picture because it's the purpose of baptism. Now, let me give you uh, four things that baptism shows or illustrates or identifies with. with. Number one, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4 says we are buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism pictures what we believe, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, adamant or, or very critical of people who get sprinkled. However, that's not biblical baptism. How does sprinkling water on the top of your head picture the death, burial, and resurrection? It doesn't. And that's the purpose of baptism. Also, every baptism in the Bible that we read about was done this way. You don't read anywhere in the Bible where anybody was sprinkled. Nowhere. Every baptism done in the Bible was by immersion. The word baptizo was used. Okay? So first of all, it identifies us with the death, burial, and resurrection. Number two, it illustrates that we have accepted Christ as our king. <coughs> that's what the Great Commission talks about. We are identifying ourselves with Christ, that he is the Messiah. Number three, it illustrates our cleansing. Titus 3.5, 
talks about the washing of water by the Word. Um, so it, it pictures, like that ceremonial cleansing, it pictures that we've been cleansed from our sins. It doesn't cleanse us from our sins. It's a picture of it. And then number four, it illustrates our death to sin and to self, which is Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 again. That when I die, I don't physically die, but I die to myself. And when I'm raised in Christ, I'm going to walk in a new way of life. Remember what Jesus kept telling his disciples? He told them a couple of times. If you want to live, you've got to die to yourself daily. And all that means is, and we've talked about it a lot, that means that process of telling our sin nature, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, not what you want me to do. That's basically what that is. Okay? So, in a nutshell, that's what baptism is. So, if you understand what the word means and you understand the purpose of it, then it, it makes sense that the how we get baptized is by immersion. Okay? That's why we believe and teach that. Now, number two, who should be baptized, when, and how? Well, it's simple. Believers get baptized after they believe by immersion. Now, we already know why it's by immersion. We just looked at that. But I've given you several passages here um, that are, and by the way, all of these are baptisms. For the sake of our um, recorded lesson, I'm going to go ahead and read the passages. I'm not going to read the verses. I'm going to read the references and tell you who's, who it's talking about. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read all these yourself. And notice in every single one of them, when a baptism took place, number one, it was after the person had accepted Christ as Messiah or their Savior, and it was by immersion. In every, in every incident where those details were given. Let me give them to you. First of all, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that Peter preached, 3,000 people believed his word and were baptized. Baptizo. And the Bible says that the Lord added to them, at the end of that passage, people that were being saved every day. So they got saved. Peter preached a sermon. He gave an invitation. The Jewish people that were there accepted Christ as Savior and got baptized. They believed, then they were baptized. They didn't get baptized and then believe later. They believed and then they were baptized. Number two, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the passage we read, the Great Commission. We're to make disciples, baptize them. Once they have accepted Christ and have committed to be a disciple, then they get baptized. And then they're disciples. Um, number three. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember Philip was caught up by the Spirit out into the desert. There was an Ethiopian riding in a chariot. He was reading the book of Isaiah. The chariot stopped. Philip asked him, do you understand what you read? The Ethiopian said, how can I understand except somebody explains it to me? Philip got up in the chariot and he started at the passage and he explained to him about Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian, the Bible says, believe. In Jesus Christ. Then he said, there's water right there. Why can I not get baptized? Philip said, if you believe, you can. Again, when? After we believe. Why can I not get baptized? Philip said, if you believe, then you can. You don't get baptized before you believe. You believe, then you get baptized. The Bible says they got out. They went down into the water. Philip baptized him, and they came up out of the water. You know, I've always wondered this, too. Remember when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John? 
If sprinkling was the mode of baptism, then why in the world did he go all the way out in the middle of the river to get sprinkled? I mean, why, why didn't you just reach down and grab some off the shore and sprinkle him on the top of the head? And the Bible says when Jesus came up out of the water, the Heavenly Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And a dove, representing the Holy Spirit, landed on him when he came up out of the water. So that's what happened to the Ethiopian here. He went down into the water, came up out after he believed. Next, Acts chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Simon the sorcerer. Um, there was preaching. He believed. And the Bible says he was baptized. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Paul. Remember after he met Christ on the road to Damascus? He went down, Ananias. He was baptized. Um, Acts chapter 10, verses 47 and 48. Cornelius, the first Gentile to get saved. Peter shared the gospel with him. He believed, and then he and his whole house were baptized. And then Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 30 through 33, the Philippian jailer. Remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? God opened the jail. The Philippian jailer was about to kill himself. They shared Christ. He, got, they took, him, he took them back to his house. He got saved, and the Bible says he and all his household believed and were baptized. Okay? So the point being, all through the Scripture, the when and the how and the who is believers, after they believe, get baptized by immersion. Okay? Now, let me give you this last one real quick. What about infant baptism? Do we at our church practice baptizing babies? No, we don't. Do we dedicate babies? Yes, we do. Okay? Now, why do we not baptize babies? Traditionally, the baptism of babies was meant to, just in the crude sense of the term, it was meant to cover their sins for them until they got to the age where they were intelligent or mentally capable of knowing they were sinner and could accept Christ. All of that being based upon the premise that if you don't do something for a baby before they're able to accept Christ, if they die, they won't go to heaven. Now, I want to real quick show you what the Bible says about that. First of all, baptism does not remove our sins. So if it doesn't remove ours, it can't remove the baby's either. Baptism doesn't remove sin. Sin is removed when we put our faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, interesting passage of Scripture. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them, he's actually getting on to them, because they're all fighting. Because one of them said, well, I got saved when Paul came, and I got saved when Apollos came. And one of them, uh, some of them were even saying, well, I got saved when Jesus came. And you know what Paul said? He said, I'm glad that I didn't baptize many of you. He said, because then you would think that you were baptized into Paul. He said, the truth of the matter is I only baptized a few of you. And then at the very end of the passage, Paul says this, Christ did not call me to baptize. He called me to preach the gospel. Now, what does that mean? That meant that if, as long as you get the gospel and you trust Christ as your Savior, heaven is your home, even if you don't get baptized before you die. The thief on the cross, did he go to heaven? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did he go to heaven? Sure. When did he get baptized? He never did. Okay? Baptism is important. It's vitally important. It's actually the first step of obedience we take as a Christian because it identifies the fact that we are now disciples of Christ. However, it's got nothing to do with salvation. Now, let me give you one more passage of Scripture. Children are safe with the Lord until they can mentally make that choice. You'll hear people sometimes talk about the age of accountability. 
at what age do we become accountable for our own sin? In other words, if we die at, after that age and we don't accept Christ, then we don't go to heaven. Okay? There are people that say, well, it's the age of 12 because that's when Jesus went to the temple. The truth of the matter is it is the age at which you are capable of understanding right and wrong. That is when it is. The Bible talks about, um, in a couple of places in the Scripture, the Bible talks about those within an area who had the ability to discern between right and wrong. Those were the people who were held accountable. Those who had the ability to discern between right and wrong. Okay? With that being said, there's a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 through 23. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. Remember when David had his adulterous affair with Bathsheba? She got pregnant. She gave birth to a baby. And remember what Nathan had said. The baby will die. When the baby was alive, the baby got sick. David fasted and prayed that God would somehow have mercy and let the baby live. God did not. He allowed the baby to die. After the baby died, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you read that passage, you'll find at the end of the passage, the people asked David. After the baby died, David cleaned himself up. He went in. He sat down. He said, bring me something to eat. And they were perplexed. While the baby was still alive, you fasted and you prayed and you wept. The baby's dead, and now you clean up. You're all happy and you're eating. What's the deal? And here's how David answered. While the baby was alive, who could tell but what God might have mercy on me and heal the baby? He did not. The baby is gone. And then he said this, My baby will not return to me, but one day I will go to him. Now, unless you believe King David died and went to hell, if David one day was going to where his baby was, then where was that baby? With God. In heaven with God. Okay. Now, the principle is, until you and I come to the place where we have the ability, the mental ability, to discern right and wrong. We are not held accountable for that, according to 2 Samuel. Here's where it also applies. When I was growing up, I had a cousin who was mentally handicapped, severely mentally handicapped, until my cousin died at the early ages of adulthood. He never progress beyond the mental capacity of about a one or two year old. So when my cousin died, where did he go? I believe he's in heaven. He did not have the ability to discern between right and wrong. He didn't comprehend that. Mentally, he did not comprehend that. And I've had people ask, well, why would God let somebody like that be born? It wasn't for him. It was for the people who loved him and cared for him. It was for the people whose lives he affected because of the people who loved him and cared for him. So God has a reason. That's the principle. So if water doesn't wash away sin and babies are safe in the arms of Jesus and don't need to have their sins forgiven before they get to the age of accountability, then there is no purpose for infant baptism. Okay? That's why we don't baptize babies. Okay? Now, doesn't mean that somebody that does is a terrible, wicked person. It just, I just disagree with what they're doing because I don't think it's necessary. The Bible doesn't teach that. Okay? All right.
Any questions? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truths that are taught. Lord, baptism is so important. Uh, It identifies us with You and all that You did for us. Thank You for what You have done. Lord, we ask that You'll give us grace and strength and courage this week. Give us wisdom to make wise decisions. And to honor You in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you guys. Have a great week.